the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, I love your questions. Love to uh, hear what you're thinking about, what you want to talk about, whether it's basic money issues or all the way up to advanced estate planning. We'll take them all. Certified financial planner trained in, trained in taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. Let's talk about the markets a little bit. As we're already, gosh, five days into the final quarter of the year. After uh, Monday, October 4th trading, we had an actual 5% decline in the S&P 500. For the first time in a while. The S&P 500 posted a 4.8% decline for the month of September. And then on uh, Monday the 4th trading, there was a 1.4% decline. And this, this negative return for September is the first monthly drop since this January. And its largest monthly decline since March of 2020 when the pandemic began. So it's kind of been a straight up ride since then. And the S&P is still up 16% for the year. I think a little bit more if you add in dividends. Um, and but for, for the quarter, even though September was negative, the the S and P five hundred was actually positive 02 percent for the third quarter of the year. Of course, big news yesterday as everybody jumps on their phone and starts scrolling. They're like, "Is there something wrong with my Wi Fi? Because I can't get on my Facebook or my Instagram." Nope, there's an outage, tech issue, something there. Facebook was down almost five percent in yesterday's trading on that on that outage, and it, it kind of shows you a lesson because you start to hear things about the S and P five hundred was down, the, the Nasdaq is down. Well, look, I mean, Facebook is two point one nine percent of the S and P five hundred since it's a weighted index, and Facebook is one of the largest companies out there, and it's three point eight percent of the Nasdaq, and the Nasdaq is down 6% in the last month. They're starting to get close to correction territory. It wouldn't surprise me if it kind of continues a tad because I think there's a lot of people that are concerned that capital gains taxes are going to go up and that they're overweighted in specific stocks of maybe companies that they work for. So a little trimming could occur in this last quarter of the year. But you get 10, 15, 20%. So you're, you're going to have buyers coming in. And a lot of it is just because... There's just bonds are not paying much. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, we're going to have earnings start this week. And the big themes about every conference call, they're going to talk about inflation. 
of course. Inflation is the you know cost of if of materials and things like that goes up. The commodities index, um, the Bloomberg Commodity Spot Index, which tracks twenty three energy metals and crop futures contracts, rose one per point one percent yesterday, and that hit a two thousand eleven record. That index has surged more than ninety percent since reaching a four year low in March of last year. It was just kind of a run where commodities weren't doing a lot for portfolios because there wasn't much inflation out there. Well, now we're starting to... Obviously, the transitory inflation and people moving from the transitory inflation camp over to the, oh, yeah, we've got signs of real potential longer-term inflation. <laughs> we've got uh, the fiscal package we're, is going to be talked about in terms of earnings calls and how certain companies like industrial companies and, and manufacturers are going to potentially benefit from it. I'm sure we'll have certain CEOs talk about the debt ceiling that the US is dealing with, which, you know, each and every year seems to be, well, I guess it could be every two years. I don't know, but it's just, it's just, it's a stupid issue, right? It's on one hand, I could argue that we should not have the debt ceiling in place because we vote these people in, they vote on a spending package and then they vote on a way to fund it through tax packages. So they should do the right thing, but yet they don't. They can continue to spend more and more money without solving major issues. So the debt ceiling is stupid because you've already kind of voted on these issues. If you vote in a spending package, you better vote in a way to pay for it. And in the meantime, if you need to pay your bills, you should pay your bills. But the debt ceiling is a reminder that our U.S. debt is increasing too quickly and something has to change. But they just put Band-Aids on it and they move along. So you're going to hear a lot of earnings reports mention the debt ceiling. They're going to hear a lot of earnings reports mention China. I'm seeing you know, news articles of Evergrande or Evergrande, however you say it. Depends on if you go to Starbucks too much or not. And uh, empty buildings in China. I'm looking at a, um, you know, a Wall Street Journal article right now online. It says empty buildings in China's provincial cities testify to Evergrande's debacle. I feel like I am seeing a repeat of news stories about ten years ago. That's what happens in the market. I'm telling you, it's like the stories are all the same with different players. It's like watching a uh, the same play, but they rename it and put in different actors. Um, just like, you know, we've been alive long enough, over 40 years, you start to see your favorite movies remade again. It's kind of like that. So you're going to hear more talks of wage inflation, difficulty of hiring. And, you know, right now, the forward 12-month price earnings ratio for the S&P 500 is 20.1. After this recent pullback, that's above the five-year average of 18.3, according to FactSet, and above the 10-year average of 16.4. Now, why is that sound expensive? I mean, it's been higher than that. It's been 22, but it sounds expensive. It's because it's, you know, a lot of times it's relative to bonds. And, you know, bonds are down 0.6% in the last month. We're going to talk about the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index and the negative return for the year for a moment. But look, if we do get continued inflation, if we get a fiscal package and we continue to see this issue of most businesses are doing better than they've ever been doing before, 
we do have supply chain issues. We've got a lot of demand. If the supply chain issues get worked out, the fiscal package gets even more people to work. And the economy is just, you know, hitting and hitting and hitting and, and, you know, jobs are open and people are getting more money. If you start to get that real inflation, goods are going up, wage inflation is going up, that's being passed on to consumer through higher prices. The Fed stop buying bonds, which they have yet to do. You're going to start to see higher interest rates. We already saw a slightly tick up in interest rates and the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is down 0.6% in the last month. And you know, basically the total return for the year on the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, when it kind of takes a look at the stocks in the, or I mean bonds in the United States from treasuries to safer bonds to, to mortgage-backed securities, it's kind of a whole look. It's what... if if you have an, uh, a taxable bond fund, in other, or, or, in other words, a non-municipal bond fund, so I'm not talking about a California muni or an Oregon muni where you, the income is not taxable at the state level. Those bonds are still actually slightly positive for the year. I'm talking about all other types of bonds. That's what most bond managers go up against. And the total return is negative 1.37% for the year so far. That includes the interest earned on the bonds. So that's what can happen in bond funds as interest rates rise. So people are like, you know what? I'll just, uh, I'd rather own this company over here paying me a 1.2% or a 1.8% dividend. Yeah, it's going to be very volatile. But as long as I don't have to sell to pay my expenses, I'll just write it out for the next 10 years instead of buy a 10-year treasury at one point, you know, sub 1.6%. So more money's being pushed over into stocks. But higher interest rates, higher wage inflation, that's going to be the topic of a lot of conference calls going forward. A couple of things out there. First of all, looks like the we, we've got futures trading a little bit higher in terms of the market. We had obviously a little bit of a dip yesterday, a little bit of a continued sell-off in tech as tech is down about 6% from the last month or so. But bonds have actually been somewhat selling off as well. And not in a major way, but it, it just happens. We've been talking about it for a while. And if you look at... The overall bond market, you can take a look at the at AGG, that's an ETF that tracks the overall bond market, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. You can look at you know Vanguard's total bond market ETF as you want to as well, but AGG has a yield of 1.81%. Okay, So think about that. If you buy the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, 1.81%. Now, prior to the great credit crisis of 08 and 09, it was the Lehman Brothers Bond Index. That's, that's what we all used to talk about. It took probably two or three years for me to get that out of my vocabulary. Back in October, that index, October of 2007, was yielding 4.8%. So now the overall bond market is yielding 1.81%. Back then, the overall bond market was yielding 4.8%. So you could ladder a bond portfolio and have some shorter-term bonds paying a little less, but some longer-term bonds paying a little more. And you could assume that you're going to get a good, you know, five to six percent income overall on your bond side of your portfolio. Now you're looking at, you know, one point eight to two and a half percent. Some bond funds, some strategic income funds, more aggressive funds that own some high yield bonds could get, you know, a little bit more than that. But they also come with volatility. 
Now, even though the AGG or the AG ETF is yielding 1.81%, the total return for the year is negative 1.37. So we have, you know, nine months worth of interest payments that have been wiped out plus a little bit more with the decline in price of AGG. And that's what can happen in funds and ETFs. As interest rates go up, those can lose value on paper. Now, if we get a fiscal package passed and we avoid another major COVID shutdown and we get through this wave, the economy will continue to boom. And rates will start to go up. Now, the... There's not a, a major expectations for the Fed to increase overnight lending rates between banks. That's what they're always talking about, the Fed interest rates. It's overnight lending rates between banks. What really drives the economy is you look at the 10-year treasury and what that rate is doing. And when the Fed's raised rates a little bit, sometimes it does affect the 10-year treasury, but not directly. It's not like making your 30-year mortgage go up immediately. It's an overnight lending rate between banks. But what they're doing right now is the, as, as bonds are issued out there in the world, even our own U.S. Treasuries, the Federal, the Federal Reserve is going out and buying those bonds, creating some a bit of a false demand, which causes the prices to go up and the yields to stay low. Well, they're supposed to slow that down. It gets it keeps getting put off, and now it's supposed to be next month, right? So, typically, when we have a year like this, when the S and P five hundred is up sixteen percent, you would typically say, "Okay, I'm getting close to retirement." or I'm retired, it's time to rebalance. Rebalance the portfolio, trim some of the stocks and go out and buy some bonds, commodities, whatever you're, you're kind of missing. Now, it, 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 that could also be lately emerging markets because emerging markets due to China is way down. But it's usually you, you sell some stocks, you buy some bonds or cash because you're rebalancing your portfolio back to a target. It's just a, a very normal, very good part of investing. In fact, when you look at long-term studies of portfolios between 85% stocks, 15% bonds versus all stocks, the returns are very, very similar with less volatility and less risk in an 85-15 portfolio because you have something to sell when the market goes down so that you have the ability to actually buy stocks on the cheap. So when you trim... Right now, if you're looking at your overall portfolio, you got to say, okay, the market is positive 70% of the time. Typically, 10-year plus returns are really, really good. And as long as I'm not forced to sell when the market declines and I panic out, like if you panicked out in March of April, March and April of last year when the market had a quick decline, I mean, you missed out on some massive gains. You locked in losses. You made a huge financial mistake that might take you a decade to recover from. So you just have to not panic out. And you also can't have money invested in stocks that you might need to spend in the next year or two. Because Murphy's Law will tell you that right when you need to sell some stock to pay for that remodel, to pay for that new car, to pay for that tuition, that that's when the market's going to drop right then and you're going to lock in losses. Because the losses always recover, right? It could be really quick like last year. Or it could take a long time. Like 2007, the decline was March of 2009. And it was almost 2013 before we recovered back to the same price level. Now, if, if you 
didn't panic or you didn't need to sell stocks to pay expenses. You could have collected dividends all that period of time during the decline and the recovery and reinvesting those to buy more shares on the cheap and you would be way more wealthy right now. So when you rebalance, you just have to say, okay, bonds aren't super attractive right now to me because of where interest rates are, but I still need to make sure that I have enough cash to pay my expenses for the next 12 to 24 months. Now, if you're retired, that's three years worth of portfolio draw. So if you are spending 100 grand a year and 50 is coming from Social Security, the other 50 is coming from your portfolio, well, you need $150,000 in cash just in the next three years. So that way, between your Social Security, your dividends and interest, and your cash, you can make it through a 2007 to 2013 type of a situation. And you'll be just fine. You can write it out in good dividend-paying stocks, rebalance your portfolio, but do not panic out. Do not be over-invested after a big run-up like this. You just you, that, That's when the mistakes are made. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. We may still own bonds for clients, strategic income, floating rate funds, some core bond funds, all of which have done good. And all in all, our bond portfolio is positive for the year versus the ag, which is down. But we've been underweight fixed income. So on a traditional 60-40 portfolio, it's more like 60-35-5, where 5 is in alternatives like commodities and things like that. And it's a tough time because the S&P 500 or even something like a dividend achiever index is yielding close to what the ag is yielding. So we'll talk about some bond alternatives. And because of interest rates being so low on bonds and cash, we're going to talk about how much more expensive it is to re- retire now than it was in 2007. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass, the Willoughby the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Just talking about rebalancing a portfolio. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, fixed income for the last couple of years, that fixed income and bonds is the same thing. It's just like equities and stocks, same thing. Right? So that's, that's one. Uh, but bonds have been the most difficult part because it's like, you know, if you look at a 10-year treasury... You hold the 10-year treasury and the income that you get is not much more than if you have the S&P 500 and you're getting paid dividends from all those stocks that are in there like Microsoft and Apple and and all these different companies that, that pay a dividend. And so it's tough because you know the stock market takes care of us, really good care of us over time. Seven out of 10 years are positive on average. The average return, if you look at 10, 15, 20-year periods, tends to be at the 10 to 11% range. Now, some periods are going to be a little bit lower, like 2007 to 2017. But if you if you have a long-term time horizon, 20-plus years, you'll probably average over 10% in stocks. Some years are going to be much higher. Like this year, it's up 16% in the S&P 500. Some years are going to be negative. Seven out of 10 years are positive. And as long as you don't make mistakes, in other words, if you don't have money in the stock market that you need to spend very, very soon, or if you don't panic out because it's the bottom and you're watching the news thinking it's different this time. I had somebody, uh, a client of mine yesterday, send me a, an article, which I look at it as almost like paid advertising by Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which... 
is a good book, but it's made up characters. And um, talking about, you know, the market's going to crash and buy gold. Well, I remember those articles not too long ago, which was like buy oil. The guy is not an investment advisor at all, right? The guy sells, helps sell seminars. He made his money by selling seminars and books, not by investing. So there's a lot of fear and, and greed selling out there. You got to be careful and look at the news sources when it comes to it. Stocks take care of us over time. Really, really good care. And as long as you don't have to sell because you need to pay expenses or you panic out, you're going to do really well in bonds or in stocks rather over a long period of time. So it's the, because interest rates are so low, it's the fixed income or the bond side that's been the hardest part of our investing job in the last couple of years. Um, and so people are looking at, and we still own bond funds and, and I haven't been buying individual bonds lately, but strategic income funds, floating rates, um, some good actively managed core bonds, not much indexing when it comes to bonds. Some bond alternatives for those that are closer to retirement that need that fixed income to, to add to safety of the portfolio, but they're not liking bond funds right now. You can look at stable value funds in your 401k. They're yielding almost as much as a 10-year treasury. There's not going to be that interest rate risk. In other words, if rates go up, those things aren't going to fall in value. And so that's if you're saying, gosh, I need to trim stocks, but I don't know where to put the money to keep my portfolio balanced, you could look at the stable value in the 401k. If you're overweight in equities and you're getting closer and closer to retirement, but you're still like five, 10 years out, so you don't really need a bunch of cash or, or you're kind of concerned about rising rates and bonds, you could use a no-load variable annuity. You could take some of the stocks in your IRA, liquidate them, transfer them tax-free into a no-load. No-load is the key. Variable annuity where the money could be invested half stocks, half bonds, but you could have a guaranteed income for life from that insurance company for a rate that's almost twice as much as what you're getting from bonds. You can continue to take some equity risk, but have some income guarantees that are similar to bonds. There's also some no commission index options, which have a couple of different buckets in there, but you know, one is a fixed rate of you know, a little, little under 2%. And the other one basically says, well, if the S&P 500 returns more than zero for the year, you get like a 35 or 4% rate of return. But if it goes down, you just get zero. So there are some decent you know, bond alternatives out there. You just have to be careful and you have to get advice from a fee-only fiduciary-based certified financial planner when it comes to retirement to look at some of those bond options. And here, here's why bonds are such a tough issue because... I don't think people realize how much more expensive it is to retire these days. Because of what is happening in the bond market and what we're earning on our CDs and our, our money market accounts, which is about the most you can get is around a half a percent at like Ally or Capital One 360 and places like that, those online FDIC insurance banks. Let's talk about how much more expensive it is to retire in the year 2021 than even back in, let's say, 2006 or seven. So I've been in the business since 93, right? And back in 93, modern portfolio theory and, and this idea of um, draw rates was you know, all the rage, relatively new. But essentially, the, that theory of how much can you safely withdraw from your portfolio came about. And what you would do is you would say, okay, 
as long as I can live off of 4% of my portfolio and as long as my portfolio is balanced, somewhere between 50% stocks, 50% bonds, or 60% stocks, 40% bonds, as long as my portfolio is balanced and I rebalance it every year, I can start off drawing 4% of my portfolio and adjust it upwards each year to keep up with inflation. And I should have enough money to last well into my 90s. Okay. And so let's say you needed 80 grand a year to start out in retirement. So you're going to, you know, that's, that's what you needed from your portfolio. Maybe you had social security and pensions on top of that. But in order to pay all your expenses, taxes, healthcare costs, you needed to take 80 grand a year out of your portfolio. If you divide that by 4%, you need $2 million. Okay. But that was when, back when we would say that, okay, if we're looking at a 50% stock portfolio, 40% bonds and 10% cash, right? So in that case, your 40% in bonds back then was yielding about 5%. Your cash was yielding about 3%. Your stocks, you know, I tend to in the long term believe 20% or 20 years or more, you're going to get you know, 10, 11% average, but you always assume a little bit lower rate. You, you, you're investing a little bit more stable and dividend paying companies. So let's say the stocks back then are going to yield, are going to give you 8% between the dividends and the growth in the share price. So all in all that, you know, you're, you're talking about about a 6.3% all in return between your stocks, bonds, and cash, which gave you that safe draw rate of 4%. Well, if we go back to today's time where your $100,000 or I'm sorry, $200,000 or 10% of your portfolio is in cash, and that's maybe getting over the next decade 1%. And then your 40% that's in bonds is now only yielding about 2.5% if you have a diversified bond portfolio between safer stuff, floating rates, strategic income, core bond. Because the interest rates on bonds and cash are so much lower, instead of your expectations of 6.3% rate of return, it's more like a 5.1% rate of return if you're trying to be conservative. Now, years like this, we've done way better than that, right? Well into the double digits. But you can't retire like that. You have to retire assuming a very conservative projection for the next decade or two. And so 63 or 6.3% was pretty, you know, good conservative expected return back then when that 4% draw rate was created. Now bonds and cash are so low in rates, and there's not a lot of thought that the interest rates are going to go up drastically. There's a thought that we're going to go up. Like I believe we hit, you know, by end of next year, easily 1.75% on the ten-year treasury. But we can't afford super high interest rates in the country because of the debt, the debt that the U.S. government has. So now, instead of drawing 4% at age 65, you better be comfortable at 3% at 65. So that if you retire at 65, you should be able to live off of Social Security, pension, rental income, plus no more than a 3% draw on your portfolio. And that way, every year, you'll be able to draw a little bit more out of your portfolio each year to keep up with inflation. So if we divide 80,000, remember, that's our normal need. Our normal deed back in, say, 2005, 2006 was if we divided 80,000 by 4%, that was 2 million. But if we divide 80,000 by 3% draw rate, so 80,000 divided by 0.03, that's 2.7 million. 
So theoretically, it costs $700,000 more today to retire at age 65 in this scenario than it did back when interest rates were much higher. So while these low interest rates have fueled an increase in real estate prices and increase in stock prices, it's made it more difficult for people to retire. And it's a problem because people that have safe money, they need safe money to be in retirement, some cash and some bonds, that isn't paying much. And it was fine when inflation was non-existent, but now we're seeing increased inflation and increase in healthcare costs. And so just keep that in mind. It's more expensive for you to retire than your parents and your grandparents. It is. And then we also have the issue of Social Security in 2034 will be paying out more money than it's taking in. Now, more than likely, if you're you know, over 55 or so, it's probably not going to affect you. It's going to affect, affect younger workers. They'll have to pay more FICA taxes on a higher amount of income. Their normal retirement age will be 70 or, or, or after versus you know, available at 62. There'll be a lot of changes. A couple of headlines out there. IMF sees global GDP in 2021 slightly below the prior forecast of 6%. 6% for global GDP growth is really good. But the article right above it, supply chains are everything at this point. And it is affecting just about everyone between hiring issues and supply chain issues. Um, it's tough. It's tough. It's, um, you know, financial firms like you know us, we're hiring just about every office that you can look at online, whether it's down in Torrance Lafayette, Vancouver, Washington, we're, we're hiring CFP, Certified Financial Planners. Torrance Office is hiring tax people. Um, it, it's, you know, any it, it manufacturing places like that, or people are just hopping jobs if they can get 50 cents more an hour. So it's a little bit difficult there. But if we can get past these supply chain issues and kind of get a fiscal package passed, we could be off and running. I don't, I don't expect double-digit returns again, though, next year because a lot of that stuff is priced in. And it's caused rates up a little bit and bonds to go down. Now, I will say municipal bonds, if you look at California or Oregon tax-free bonds, those bonds, municipal bonds, where you invest and you get income that's free of state and federal taxes are still slightly positive for the year. But again, same kind of thing. If you look at a general ETF, and again, I, I prefer more actively managed bond funds these days because of how the yield curve works and when you might want to sell a bond early for a profit and reinvest or hold more cash. An ETF like CMF, California Tax-Free Bond ETF, it's got a yield of 1.62%. It's flat for the year. So there's places that you can get 1.62%, but you can look at the duration on it. If rates on the 10-year go up by 1%, you'd expect to fall of about 6 to 7%. Um, will, I, I was reading something that will municipal bonds rally if a fiscal package is passed because that would put more money, you know, kind of in the, in the hands of state and local governments to boost up things like utilities and, you know, water and piping and all that kind of stuff. I think the most of the consensus on that is a lot of that's somewhat priced in, but there is a thought that utilities could benefit. Utilities have been a bit of a laggard this year. Typically, utilities are very sensitive to interest rates. When rates go up, a lot of people just buy utility stocks for the dividends. So they kind of tend to fall a little bit in value. But think about this. If everybody right now owned a Tesla, and I own a Tesla, I own 
I think I'm carbon neutral because I have a a big truck, a Sierra 3500 diesel, and then I've got a Tesla. Right? That's carbon neutral, right? <laughs> so one's for towing and fun, and the other one's for really fun driving on a daily basis. But I love plugging that thing in. Right? I do get range anxiety sometimes, where you wish, like, oh, I'm running a little, little tight. I don't have 45 minutes to stop and charge. But anyway, if you thought about everybody getting an electric vehicle, our infrastructure could not handle that in any way, shape, or form right now. There's no possible way. So utilities need to be boosted up. And we have, we have to be able to produce more electricity to go more green, I guess. And gosh, and I'm looking at the oil spill in Southern California and just heart's broken. That's just awful. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I don't know. This just, it kills me. I just, that, that kind of stuff is, is a, I love the ocean so much. And when I see something like that, it just makes me just sick. Anyways, um, the idea is that it could, utilities could benefit from that. I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I saw a really interesting in, in our weekly update from Strategis, which is a company that we look at kind of global macro insight for. And so we, we pull in a lot of their research and we say, where do we want to overweight or underweight? Overweight US or underweight US go a little bit more emerging markets or international or you know, light on bonds, heavy on bonds, light on stocks, heavy on stocks. They're, they're, they, they give us a good read on the overall economy. And here's, I want to go through this real quick because I just thought it was interesting today. 10 things you might not know, but probably should. Number one, today marks the 40th anniversary of the start of the bull market in bonds. The U.S. 10-year Treasury yield peaked at 15.84% September 30th, 1981. And that was when interest rates were rising rapidly to fight inflation. And since then, bonds have been going up in value and total return on bonds of prices going up and, and rates going down for that period of time. Number two, during the second quarter, inflation was mentioned on almost 45% of earnings call. And that was well above the average of 276 in the last five years. So we're going to hear a ton of that. Uh, number three, with an entire quarter left to go, the U.S. high-yield bond issuance is on pace to surpass last year's record of $441 billion. So high-yield bonds is the same thing as junk bonds. It's the credit quality of the companies issuing them, not great. And interest rates are historically low, so they're issuing left and right. U.S. household net worth now stands at a record $141.7 trillion, up from $116.8 at the end of 2019 because of big jump in real estate and stocks. That's pretty good. Now, number five, the U.S. personal savings is up more than $700 billion compared to the 10-year average before the pandemic. So people are stocking away cash. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to go. Number six was boring, so I'm going to skip that one. Number seven, de- uh, the, the lumber index is down nearly 65% from its high last May. But it's still up 27% month to date. So it's been very volatile. We had this huge jump in January to May, a big decline of 65%, but it's still up 27% for the month. But it's not as bad as it was on lumber prices. Temporary cash leaving the banking system through overnight repos. You got to pay attention to the repo market and how that works. It's very important to our economy. It's at 1.4 trillion a night now. The number of IPOs, 
on is 80, uh, 12 months percentage of all stocks trading on the NYC is up 89%. So running out of time here, but it's the IPO issuance is the highest level in the post-financial crisis area. People are trying to say, oh, people like speculation. I'm going to issue these shares, take the money and put it in the bank. So a little bit of speculation going on there. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, iTunes for the podcast, all at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.